time again. It's time for you to climb on board the speeding, thundering locomotive called The Weird, starring The Rock and Tracy Ullman. I would be Tracy Ullman, right? Yeah, but I wouldn't be The Rock. By the way, your dog is making eye contact with me and it's making me nervous. There he is. <laughs> look at look at him. He sees the cookies. Very There's, cute. I have cookies and he sees the cookies. So he will be there until the cookies have been consumed. The way you started that, it sounded like you were going to do a shitty rap. That's most rap. No. I hate rap. You trying to tell me that you don't respect the musical stylings of Criss Cross. I'm too old. I don't I miss care the about bus. Rap. I miss the bus. And I'm never, never going to do it again. The worst is rappy, hip-hoppy Christmas music. Like uh, Christmas in Hollis? Run DMC. Whatever. Dan, I have a story for you this week, and it's a good one. Let's get it going. Okay, it is about the rap murders. What? I'm kidding. <laughs> I actually believed you, too. Could you imagine? Dan, do you know what la voisin means in English? La voisin? Yeah. Some people refer to rock voisin as la voisin. No, I'm not talking about, no one cares about rock voisin. They do in Canada and France. It means the neighbor. I actually didn't know that. A voisin is a neighbor. Okay, and tonight I'm going to tell you the story of one of the most world's most famous and notorious witches <gasps> called La Voisine. Oh, great. Yeah. I try to find witch stories because I find them so intriguing and I never can find them. Well, this is a woman who dabbled in witchcraft and the dark arts. Look at that giant computer keyboard you just moved out of the way. It's one of those giant curvy ones. Yes. It's huge. I like it. It looks like some kind of alien technology. It's old, but it works. It's ergonomic and I like it. Okay. I'm not criticizing it. It's just massive. All right. I'm going to tell you the story of Catherine Delier. 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 Now, we're in France. It's 1600s in oh. France. So this woman, Catherine Delier, who's La Voisin. So that was her nickname. La Voisin was... That was her nickname. And you'll know why after I get into the story a little bit. She was born sometime around 1640 in Paris. We can't be sure there wasn't a lot of written records back then. There's not a lot known about her early life. Um, we can assume that she grew up poor. All indicators point in that direction. Probably had very little access to education. Education as most people would be, right? At that time. Well, yeah, and most and most people who had access to education had significant social standing. As a young girl, however, she had been taught the art of fortune telling mm. when she was just nine years old, and she had told people that. And the reason was it was a very effective way of making money on the street. You could set up a little, you know, a little table or whatever, and tell fortunes. Now, one thing that they said from a very early age and forward. The majority of the predictions that uh, Catherine made were hauntingly accurate. Mm -hmm. She would really nail it. So she wasn't one of those people that you'd go to and they'd say, you've had a difficult life. You've had, you know, you know, those generalizations. That yes. I went to a psychic once and I found that a lot of what was given to me were generalizations. Yes. You, you know, you've had a lot of, of struggles. Everyone thinks they've had a lot of struggles. Uh-huh. I'm sure Jeff Bezos thinks he's had a lot of struggles. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We all think that. Yeah, there's a there's a con to to a lot of that, and there's an art in the deception. 
Yeah, because they 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 sort of put out little hooks, and when they hook you, then they pursue that avenue. They like they know mm-hmm. you you give tells. It's like gambling. It's like watching you know watching right. people play cards. Anyway, her predictions were very accurate and very specific. Around the age of twenty, again, we're not sure about the specific specifics of this. She married a gentleman named Antoine Mavoisin, and that is why her nickname was La Voisin. Her last name was Mavoisin. So my neighbor. He was a struggling Parisian jeweler and also tried to establish himself as a silk merchant in Paris at that time. However, he was not a good businessman. He wasn't shrewd. He just didn't have the head for it. And as a result, his business ventures just didn't succeed. And so, in desperation, uh, Catherine, or I'm just going to call her from now on La Voisin, she returned to telling fortunes, which she had abandoned since she was a small child, and at that time also trained to become a midwife. The demand for midwifery was quite large in Paris, and she thought that she would be able to supplement her fortune-telling with income from being a midwife. Can I? Maybe I'm jumping the gun here. Is fortune-telling dangerous at this time? No. Okay. Very superstitious culture, and it was just part of everyday life. Kind of like parlor seances and things were very big in the late 1800s, turn of the century. This was a time when people... Yeah, and I guess like the Inquisition in maybe that part of the world is not as prolific as it was if you were in Italy. Yeah, no, it's not the same at all. Or Spain, yeah. Okay. Just so you know, in case you're wondering, her specific methods of fortune-telling were chiromancy which is palm reading. That's just the formal way of saying palm reading. Mm-hmm. And also face reading, which I wasn't super familiar with. So face reading is, you basically, it's like palm reading. You just you just stare at the face, you examine the face, and you, you arrive at certain conclusions based on a person's visage. Interesting. I've never heard of that. Now, she was extremely successful in her endeavors, and she was actually able to ultimately support her entire family. And we're talking her husband, they had three children, and her mother lived with them. So through fortune-telling and through her midwife activities, she supported the entire house. So her husband didn't do any jeweling? He was a really bad businessman. Nothing ever came of his ventures. And I guess I should say, too, if he, if she's marrying a jeweler, even if he's shitty, they are of, they're not peasant class then, I guess, right? Oh, yes, they are. Oh, they are? Yeah, they're just working class. Okay. Like they're lower middle class. They're not peasant class. Like we're not talking, you know, Les Miserables. They're working class. The poor working class. Yeah. Yeah. Like they didn't, they didn't have to beg. They managed to make a living. Yeah, yeah. But he wasn't a success. Now, she made a decision to start performing abortions. (gasps) Oh. And abortions were very illegal at that time. Okay. And it is said that her services were so in demand that she performed more abortions than births. It is rumored that she would burn the aborted fetuses in a furnace in her house and then dispose of the ashes in her garden. Now, this is grisly, but you need to remember this. Like when we're talking fetuses, we're not talking about the fetuses that are legally aborted now. We're talking a lot of fully formed children. Oh. Right? Because it's not, there's no rules because it's completely illegal. Oh. Now, it's important to note, she never abandoned her fortune telling and she still made a huge amount of money with her work as a, uh, as a fortune teller, as an oracle. 
Word of her services spread very quickly. By 1660, she had climbed the social ladder and was now providing fortune-telling services to the richest and most powerful figures in Paris at the time. Mm. And to have connections to the aristocracy was to have connections to everything. This sounds very familiar. It's reminding me of Rasputin. Yeah, yeah, there you go. This resulted in her earning way more money, and she was able to acquire a residence in a very notable neighborhood. I saw pictures of where she lived. It was very nice, very Paris-looking apartment complex. It, sorry, it still it still stands? Or oh, it, God, yeah. Like, have you ever been to Paris? I have. Well, most of the buildings date back to like 1600s, 1500s. Well, that's a, that's a good question. I didn't I, I didn't. Well, Paris really didn't have the that. shit bombed out of it either, right? Like no, England it was preserved. Did. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So in, in her apartments... In uh, in this building, she I could say the name of the building, but it, it's meaningless. She also had her consulting room where she would consult people for uh, her procedures. She also began at this point when she was earning more money to dress lavishly, which anyone would. I mean, if I suddenly was a lot richer than I am now, I'd probably dress better. And she was particularly known for having this beautiful crimson robe that was embroidered with golden eagles in golden thread. Interesting. Yeah, it was stunning, apparently. Like, she'd walk in the room and everyone would go, Mm. like me back in the 80s. She was able, through the success (laughs) of her endeavors, to establish an entire network of abortion providers. They all reported back to her and operated under her direction. In 1665, however, her oracular abilities were questioned by a priest. And because she was accused of not being authentic, she was interrogated by a panel of professors. And these professors were tasked with determining if her fortune-telling skills were indeed authentic. She claimed that her talents were a gift from God. Mm. And after being interviewed on a number of occasions, I love this, she was freed, given the blessing of the, of the panel and allowed to continue her fortune-telling work. Wow. So they verified that she was the real deal. Interesting. It's not the Roman Catholic Church here that we're talking about. It's a university, uh, a group of scholars that are determining this. And people affiliated with religion. It was part of religious life. I'm just trying to think at that time, too, if that if because this is Paris that we're in, if it was controlled by the Protestants at that point, or if it was still primarily Catholic. I, I don't know. It's Catholic. It was, eh? It I was. read, it, okay, I read okay. about this in my research. You finally were able to answer one of my questions. I was indeed. She became interested in alchemy and science as well. She was fascinated by these arts. Mm -hmm. She would also host extravagant parties. And at these parties, she was often known to play the violin for her guests. So somehow in her, I don't know, when she was young, she learned to play the violin. Now, she took a number of lovers, which many people did back in the day. But I love this part. Among her lovers, she at one time um, had a, a tryst with an executioner, an alchemist, an architect, a magician, and a number of counts and viscounts. Hmm. So she got around. She got around. She reminds me of that character in Penny Dreadful, the witch in season one. Mm-hmm. In season two, I think she's in the first two seasons. You know, the matron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's awful. Yes. Well, I don't know if this woman's awful, but... Just how larger than life. Yeah, she right? had a presence. I love that she dated an executioner. Can you imagine? Yeah. You'd be in bed at night and you'd be like, oh, come on, tell me. Uh-huh. What was it like? Okay, so she was also known to be a raging alcoholic. Okay. 
because she had money, so she could buy the booze and she drank the booze and she would mm-hmm. she would totter around and you know get real loaded and schlossed and mm-hmm. just you know make a fool I'm of herself. A nice French wine right now. I saw that because drinking it very genteely. One of her lovers was a guy named Adam Lesage, and he became jealous of her husband. So jealous, in fact, that he tried to convince Catherine or Lavoisin to poison her husband. Mm-hmm. And she was enraptured with this guy, and at first she agreed. But however, she would ultimately not go through with the plan. So she never poisoned or tried to poison her husband, but she contemplated it. Now, at that point, a conflict arose between Lavoisin and another fortune teller who was very well known and very famous in, in Paris named Marie Boss, B-O-S-S-E. Okay. And Marie Boss was well known as being many things, including a supplier of poisons. And it was also rumored that Marie Boss was a witch. So Lavoisin is not considered a witch at this point? Not yet. Okay. But at this point, it was rumored that she was supplying poisons to people who wanted them. So basically, Lavoisin and Marie Boss were in the same line of work. Oh, so they both are, they're both supplying poisons. Yeah, she's a fortune teller, but for the right clientele, she will supply poisons. Mm. Their feud was bitter and right out in the public. They both wanted to secure the favor of the court, in the court of Louis XIV. He was on the throne at that time, and he's, you know about him, he's the Sun King. Mm-hmm. And he was in Versailles. He was known to be extremely extravagant. He's one of the only kings who actually had a whole bunch of people living with him in Versailles. So he had nobles take up residence with him. He didn't live alone. I didn't know that. And the reason that he did this was, I could have done a lot more on Louis, but I don't want to get really dry. Okay, so what living with them allowed him to do was control them. So he controlled the aristocracy by having them close to him, and he also could control outbreaks of violence. He was arguably the most powerful French monarch ever. Yeah, and he had his hand in everything. He also believed that he was the hand of the church in France. Right. So that he was the guy that was in charge of it. Like right. He was, it was important for him to ensure that the church's values were, you know, being, being looked at. Where have we seen that before? Yeah, exactly. Now... We're talking about, again about Lavoisin Marie Boss. To receive royal favor meant that their status would increase and their families would be prosperous and rich for generations to come. Lavoisin eventually began to practice the dark arts. We don't know how, we don't know when, and we don't know who instructed her. There is no record of that, but all of a sudden she is dabbling heavily in the dark arts. She would provide her clients with talismans, powders, and potions on demand. And is that what you mean by the dark arts in this case? No, I'm talking about Satanism. Oh, so like actually conjuring spirits. The black mass, the whole thing. I'm getting to that. Really? Yeah. Now, we mentioned this earlier. At this time, people were very superstitious. They believed wholeheartedly in God, but they also accepted the existence of magic, Satan, and the dark arts. The two went hand in hand. They were the yin and yang of their belief system. So... Lavoisin's potions were routinely made from items such as toad bones, mole's teeth, iron filings, and of course, human blood. Mm. And like I said, she also began to make poisons and she got more heavily into poison manufacturing at this point. She noted, and this was written down, so we know that it's most likely true, that the majority of her wealthy clients always wanted one of three things. To compel someone to fall in love with them. Yes, the classic. 
to see a family member die so that they would inherit more wealth, or to see their spouse die so that they would be free to marry another. So these were the top three reasons that people would come to La Voisin to get potions. So La Voisin decided that she would try to help her clients fulfill their darkest desires. However, in order to protect herself, she stated that only certain wishes could come true. And she also encouraged her clients to take the following steps, which would help to ensure the fulfillment of their desire. Visit the church of a saint, purchase specific magical objects, and here's the clincher, participate in a black mass. Why visit the church of, with a saint? It's just part of the ritual. Don't know the rationale behind it, but that was what she recommended they do. Aren't you a warlock? (laughs) Could you imagine? I can. I know people that have claimed to be warlocks. They always have bad hair. (laughs) It's true. It's like, good Lord. You know, I'm a warlock. Maybe you should go to barber school. Anyway. What? Just everybody I've ever known has been a warlock has been a slob. Why go to barber school? Why not just go to a good barber? Exactly. Just, you know, here's, here's 20 bucks. Go to first choice. I, t- I still remember when you told me I dress horribly, I should become a tailor. And I was like, ah, that's a huge leap. <laughs> okay, shut up. Now, this you're going to find funny. She was able to bribe priests to assist her. Yeah, not hard to do. And so she began to perform black masses in the catacombs underneath her house. She broke into them because the, the, the catacombs weren't something you were allowed to access, but she broke in. Mm. And these ceremonies traditionally and typically involved a nude woman lying down and serving as the altar. A chalice would then be placed on the woman's torso and a priest would hold a baby above the chalice. Oh no. Did you say I was going to find this funny? No. Oh, I thought you said I was going to find this funny. Yeah, that the priests would so easily be able to be bribed. No. A chalice was then placed on her torso. The priest would hold the baby above it and the baby would then be sliced. Oh my God. This is alleged. Well, this is how the black masses were held. The baby would then be sliced and its blood would fill the cup. Oh, my God. As this ritual was occurring, the onlookers would pray and do chants and incantations um, to Satan. Jeez, Louise. So, in terms of the babies and their deaths, it is unknown if the children were living or dead. However... It's important to note that she had a very steady supply of children, Mm. given that she was performing late-stage abortions. Mm -hmm. And this is where it gets a little grim. She also assisted poor women in ridding themselves of newborns that they couldn't afford to raise. So apparently in this particular day and age, the women would routinely just contact people to help them get rid of kids because they just could not feed them. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, by this time, she had become a very well-known and very established figure in the seedy Paris underworld. And she had many people in her employ, some of whom were alchemists, who would help provide the ingredients for her poisons and her special mixtures. Also, her potions. Her potions and her poisons, let's just say that. When she got older, her daughter, Marguerite, one of her children, became her assistant. Mm. In 1667, she was hired by a member of Louis' court, and this woman was named Madame de Montespan. 
She was known to be very beautiful, but she was also very cunning and extremely ambitious. She desperately wanted Louis the King to fall in love with her because she would have Mm. ultimate power. She used aphrodisiacs on him and also participated in Lavoisin's black masses in order to secure this outcome. So Lavoisin made her aphrodisiacs and she would slip them to the king. I wonder if they worked. Well, I was going to ask that when you mentioned the love potions. The other two obviously would work the poisons to kill. I'm, I mean, I'm assuming that they don't, right? I, I have no idea. Probably not. Because if a love potion would work, they'd be out there now. What are some of the things that are like common aphrodisiacs again? Like stupid things like anchovies and Spanish fly. Spanish fly. I don't even know what that is, but I remember hearing about it as a yeah. kid. So lo and behold, whatever she was doing worked because Madame de Montespan was soon the king's official mistress. Okay. And she was so popular with the king that she fathered seven children with him. Really? Yeah. Now, the problem, though, with that was she already had had three kids of her own. She was almost permanently pregnant. She's pregnant all the time. So it became very important to her to not lose the king's affection because I mentioned this in an earlier podcast. Historically, one of the reasons men would take mistresses was their wives were pregnant and off limits. Yeah. So they would have to satisfy their sexual desires elsewhere. Yeah. Well, after a while, alas, the king began an affair with a woman named Madame de Soubise. I love that, Soubise. These old French names are fabulous. And I love that they're all Madame because it, make, it makes me think that they're like really old. I know, Madame like to this. French teachers. So in 1673, Madame de Montespan returned to La Voisin for her help. And she once again participated in a full black mass in order to hold on to the king's affections, which she felt were slipping away. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. The king took on yet more lovers and his interest in Montespan faded. Angry and rejected, Montespan again returned to La Voisin for her help. Mm-hmm. By this time, she wanted a dark and devious outcome. She wanted to poison the king and his current mistress, a woman named Angelique de Fontaine. Okay. Yeah. So get them both. Two birds with one poison. <laughs> See what du I did oiseau. there? Yes. Du oiseau. I don't know what the word for stone is. Anana. That's pineapple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. A rumor at that time was circulating that Montespan had actually poisoned the king on numerous occasions previously throughout their relationship, but the poisons just never worked. Interesting. Well, I wonder if it was done on purpose. She did on purpose. No, no, but uh, she was given not the right poison. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's poisons out there, too, that you have to take over and over again while they build up in your system, right? There's rat poison. I think arsenic's like that. Yeah. Where it can build up in your system and eventually get you. Or like lead and things like that. So, believe it or not, Lavoisin agreed to help her kill the king and his mistress, and the two sat down and worked out a plot. Oh, boy. So, in March 1679, Lavoisin visited the royal court, and she had in her possession, I love this so much, a poisoned petition. So, it was a bit of parchment that she had soaked in poison liquid. And if the king touched it and handled it, he would be fatally poisoned. But I love the story too. I'd actually love to make it. I wish we were actually doing Unsolved Mysteries because we can make a video reenactment of this next part because it was a really busy day in court that day and she couldn't get near the king. Yeah. <laughs> so I just picture her in the back waving this parchment in the air yeah. with a glove on. Yeah. <laughs> I would be surprised that he would touch anything that 
anyone brought him of that nature. But it was a petition for something, so it was from his. Know, but wouldn't he have like a courtier, 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 corduroy slacks? I had corduroy slacks. They were burgundy. My mother was really into matchy, matchy clothes when I was a kid, and she bought me um, burgundy corduroy slacks with a matching sweater that had birds on it. I honestly looked like somebody from a retirement community. <laughs> like I looked like Irene, who's 90, <laughs> going down to the day room to play, you know, euchre with the girls. I can picture too because I've seen pictures of you as a kid. Oh, it was just so oh, matchy, that was matchy. So cute. It was so matchy-matchy. It was ridiculous. Yeah, we all, I had that too. If you look at the old <sighs> photos, the, when my mom would dress me up, like I remember there was like, a, I had a sailor outfit my mom would put me in. I shit you not, like a bl little blue shorts, white like blouse with a red bibby thing that went around my neck and little blue straps on my, hey, I, And you kept being abducted by older gentlemen and no one could figure out why. I remember wearing this thing in senior kindergarten, so I would have been five and being so unimpressed with it at the age of five. <laughs> I had enough wherewithal to know that this ain't cool. It's squirm inducing the shit we'd wear. Okay. <laughs> so she was thwarted. It was a busy day and she couldn't get near the king. One week later, mm -hmm. she was arrested as part of an effort in Paris to incarcerate alchemists and fortune tellers that were suspected of selling poison. Poison had become a big issue in, um, in Paris at that time and they wanted, they wanted to put an end to it. Yeah. Now, the police effort is actually the result and part of a famous plot known as the Affair of the Poisons which had occurred in 1677. So it was part of that whole movement. If you actually look up the affair of the poisons, there's a lot written on it. That year, a fortune teller, um, we're in 1677, that year, a fortune teller named Magdalene de Lagrange was arrested and charged with forgery and murder, specifically murder by poison. So began, because of her arrest, the scandal that was known as, and I said it, l'affaire de, de poison, the affair of the poisons. Or fish. Yeah, <laughs> no, not Poisson. And the Affair of the Poisons was from 1677 to 1682. So just to keep that range of dates in mind, I'm getting like you, I'm getting all technical and datey. And 77 to 82. Yeah. Now, Madame de Lagrange, or Magdalene de Lagrange, claimed that she had valuable information about crimes that involved members of the royal court. And she said that she would be willing to trade this information in exchange for her freedom. Chief of police in Paris at the time took charge of the ensuing investigation, which ultimately led to accusations of witchcraft, murder, child abduction, and satanic worship. What's not to love? I know, it's like everything. So fortune tellers, sorcerers, and poison suppliers throughout Paris were discovered and arrested. What constitutes a sorcerer at this time? I don't really know. I guess practitioners of magic, it didn't say. Yeah, interesting. Many prominent aristocrats at the time were also arrested and charged with witchcraft and poisoning as part of that investigation. 36 people were executed and dozens more were given life sentences as part of that effort. And Marie Boss, who I mentioned earlier, who was Lavoisin's sworn enemy, yes. was arrested as part of that roundup. Okay. In 1679, she identified Lavoisin as the mastermind controlling a vast network of poison distribution. And Lavoisin was doing just that. She had alchemists and people working all over the place in Paris. And it was pretty well known on the street that if you wanted poison, 
this is who you should seek yeah, out. Yeah, so it wasn't just a setup. She actually was doing this according to multiple sources. She was also performing abortions. Yeah. And as much as the law looked the other way, the Catholic Church did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, we have the whole Black Mass narrative running through that as well. I mean, she most definitely was dabbling in the dark arts. And a lot of people at that time were dabbling in the dark arts. She wasn't alone. Mm. Witchcraft was on the rise in Paris really? at the time. Yeah, I, I know it's why. weird, eh? Well, there's, I, I wonder, if there's a lot of disillusionment with the church. And the idea that I presented earlier, which fascinated me, of the yin and yang of religion at that time. So you had God and, you know, the Holy Trinity and all of these Catholic beliefs. And on the other side, you had demons, witchcraft, and worship the devil in black masses. And the thing about worshiping the devil was the devil would grant wishes. God really didn't, mm-hmm. right? God wanted you to live a good life, to be pious. God wanted you to make sacrifices. The devil did not. Well, God wanted you to make sacrifices in the mortal world with a payoff when once yeah. you, you died and became immortal, where the devil would be like, live your life now. And like, I just said something you know. stupid. The devil did demand sacrifices, but they were immediate and he would reward you for them. Right. And I also wonder if it's connected to to the Enlightenment, right? Which would have started... Just about to happen. 200 years earlier, it's where it starts. It's picking up steam at this time. Right. But it's it, that's what I mean. So, and part of that is this acceptance of scientific explanation for things and a move away from God. And superstition and crazy yeah. beliefs, yeah. Or changing superstition. It opens the door maybe. It gives people allowance to do these other things. Anyway, I digress. All right. Well, no, that's a, it's a good. We discussed that. Lavoisin was arrested because of Marie Boss. She was imprisoned and she was vigorously interrogated. Yeah, I bet. Do you know what that looked like? I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's coming. The people employed in her network, including her poor daughter, Marguerite, were also arrested and interrogated. Now, the police wisely provided her with a steady supply of alcohol in the hopes that it would lower her guard and loosen her tongue. Mm-hmm. Throughout her interrogation, she fervently denied all of the accusations. She stated she was a religious, God-fearing woman. And she stated that any client that wanted to actually secure poison was referred to Marie Boss. So she turned it right back on her accuser, which I like. Yeah. I like that. I'm sure. good for her. Is Marie Boss still in custody? Or yes. did they let her go? No, they haven't let her go yet. They continued to interrogate Lavoisin. Eventually, she confessed under duress to selling poisons and magical services to a number of nobles, many of whom were actually members of the royal court. Mm-hmm. When she was asked to provide more names and specifics, she stated as follows, and I quote, Paris is full of this kind of thing, and there is an infinite number of people engaged in this evil trade. So it's, it's not just her. Yeah, well, there was a, a demand for her services. There's a store on every corner. Given that nothing she had confessed so far warranted a death sentence, the authorities turned their attention to her abortion services. However, she would not admit to performing abortions. On February the 17th, 1680, she was convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to burn at the stake because that is the punishment for witchcraft Mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, she was then subjected to vicious torture in the hopes of securing further information and confessions. So she's already been convicted to burn, but they're going to torture her. They want more information. They want more names. They wanted more names. Now we have records that state that her legs had been violently crushed during one of those torture sessions. However, 
Witnesses report that following that session, she showed no sign of any injury afterwards. So the next day she walked out of her cell, like without any, you know, and her legs were crushed, not broken or beaten, crushed under rollers. Oh, yeah. 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 I don't know. Then on February the 22nd, 1680, she was burnt alive at the Place de Greve. Can I just say, I think the worst way to go. Me too. It's painful. It's public. It's gross. It, it takes time. Oh, I know. It's gross. I've heard read some accounts that it would, you would suffocate, right? Off the smoke before you, or you'd go into shock and pass out, but still. I know. It's gross. Like, fuck, you know, when you have a bonfire outside and you get too close and it starts to hurt. Imagine being in the middle of it. I know. I saw a chicken die in a bonfire. What? Yeah, when I was young, I was at my... One of your black masses? <laughs> you awful person. No. I was at um, my mom's relative's house. They had a big bonfire, and they were farmers in uh, in New Brunswick, and the dogs would not leave the chickens alone at night. They would bug the chickens, and one dog chased a chicken, and it panicked and ran into the fire. Oh. You know what, though? I love I love how hardy farm people are, because my, um, my great aunt Evangeline just went and got a shovel, fished that chicken out, and just put it next to her on a thing let the let the flames die down she said okay there's there's dinner for tomorrow yeah well you need to do that that's terrible and those animals were viewed as you know as just food yeah and the they're providers not of eggs yeah they're not pets mm-hmm. but it was very 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 awful i was seven years old they're cute they're soft it, i don't know this sounds like a weird thing for me to say folks but if anybody ever there has ever held a chicken out there um they're soft they're incredibly soft yeah they're, no, they're way softer than you expect them to be. I've held the, a chicken, especially though it's the chicks. Oh, yeah. They're so, yeah, they're so helpless. They're adorable. Okay. Yeah. I don't feel sorry for her though, either, by the way. I was just going to say this. She was too ambitious. Poor thing. Yeah. No, she was a horrible human being. After her death, her daughter shared a list of her clients. She also provided the authorities with information on how the black masses were arranged and she confirmed Lavoisin's connection to Madame de Montespan and the plot to kill the king. Mm. Lavoisin's former associates confirmed all of the information that um, her daughter had provided. So let's talk about Lavoisin in general terms because I'm also almost at the end of my story. It is estimated that she played a part in the deaths of between 1,000 to 2,500 people. Oh my God. Yeah, many of whom were obviously infants. She's Anne Bathory territory there. Yeah, she was, um, yeah, but this was a business, right? She was doing this as a business to make money. I know. Also, an interesting thing that I uncovered when I was doing the research, we have to remember that life wasn't regarded the same way as it is now. No. Life was hard and people had to make very harsh decisions. Yeah. So it was, it was a very different headspace back then. A very interesting historical note, and I know you'll like this because you love history. When Louis XIV got wind of the affair and the investigation, he ordered that the investigation be stopped immediately and that all the witness statements be sealed forever. Mm. He worked with his, you know, through the court and through the nobles to suppress all the gossip. And he ordered that many of the documents associated with the scandal be destroyed. He had the remaining people who were associated with the uh, scandal imprisoned under what is known as a lettre de cachet. And that meant that they no longer had any legal existence whatsoever. They were no longer people. That's right. In the eyes of the law. So they were, for all intents and purposes, gone. Mm -hmm. 
And he had these people imprisoned in different facilities throughout France so that gossip about what had happened wouldn't spread. Why not just kill them? By 1681, Madame de Montespan had been permanently replaced by a new mistress to the king, and her name was... Named Debbie. <laughs> her name was the Marquise de Maintenant. I love that, de Maintenant. 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 Now, so she was the Marquise de Maintenant, and that was the end of La Voisin. Her legend continues in Paris as one of the most famous worshippers of the dark arts and witches in organized culture in France ever. And a prolific mass murderer. Yes, she was. But she didn't consider it murder. She was very clear on that, that she didn't consider it murder. Well, that's neither here nor there. If I give you poison, I'm not killing someone. Well, you, you You're are. an accessory to murder. You're an accessory. You don't get charged the same way. But what about the black masses? Like, was she ever the one killing children? No, the priests were. Oh, okay. So she wasn't a priest. No, she wasn't. Uh, she was just organizing. She was just them. a member. Yeah, she was organizing the black. So if you came to her in, with a dire need, she would organize a black mass and pay off the appropriate people. Hmm. But there is a, a big rumor that she was supplying the infants. They yeah. say that the ashes of maybe 4,000 infants were in her backyard. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, remember, though, you have to remember perspective, right? You're dealing with a culture where birth control didn't exist and women were routinely assaulted sexually. Yes. And so there was a lot. Pregnancies were high risk. You could die. And and it, you, you would have kids that you had no hope of caring for, right? Yeah. There's just yeah, nothing. It's just sad. It's all of it's very sad. Dude, this was just part of life, right? So yeah, I'm sure that these women were not didn't have a lot of choices. No, right? and they had to be very practical, right? They had to be very practical about the decisions that they made. And I'm and I bet too, still very high risk procedure. I wonder how many of these women died. Oh, well, I'm sure right? tons. There was no description about how it was performed. At least she had been trained as a midwife, so she knew a little bit. I wonder how frequent this still is not the abortion piece but the black masses and sacrifices like they must still be happening i have no idea i know teenagers do them the black masses well right? i don't mean that i mean like the real thing i don't know and you hear like i've i've come across some stuff in research for other episodes where in fact one, there's one that i'd like to do in the near future that is centered in England right now, where there's like a, a, a supposed ring that involves high profile politicians and business leaders and, and even members of the royal family uh, or the nobility, you know, where they're doing these, these, they're having these black masses and there are sacrifices. You sound like QAnon right now. And they all take place in uh, pizza, pizza restrooms. It does. It sounds a little QAnon. It does sound like QAnon, but uh, well, I'm not saying I believe this stuff. I'm just saying there's still stories out there of this stuff happening. I don't know if the dark underbelly of Satanism is out there. I don't know. You don't hear much about it. Like, honestly, and I'm not exaggerating or trying to make a joke, but the only time I ever hear Satanism ever mentioned is in reference to teenagers or young adults who get into it in high school, right? Because they're into... Or people that are mentally ill, right? That are... Uh, I've never even heard that. Some serial killers and stuff like that. They'll say Satan, son of Sam. Or no, not Sam. Mama, the other guy, the guy from um, LA. What's his name? Oh, yeah. Uh, Ramirez. R Richard uh, Ramirez. Richard Ramirez, yeah. Like, honestly, you just don't hear much about it. I mean, I, I hear a lot about witchcraft. I mean, we know Aleister Crowley and Anton yes, LaVey. Yes, that's different. Yeah, and that's just a very different way of looking at the world. But actual 
deep, dark, you know, Satanism. I don't know. I don't know. I have to think that it still exists. We know historically it exists. I don't think it goes away. Is it probably a widespread? No, but then I think that fewer and fewer people are believing in religion to begin with. Yeah, well, we know that. We talked about that with Margo a little bit, but I I do think that fewer people believe. The science revolution is sweeping all of us up, for better or for worse. It's true. It's true. And we're not as superstitious, and it's a different world. Sort of. So that's the story, Dan, of Lavoisin, the neighbor. I did not know that at all. That reminds me of Anne Bathory in so many ways. Yeah, I'd never heard of her. And um, the thing that I like about her was that she was part of the court, basically. Like, she wasn't a courtesan, but she was right in there. So completely reminds me of that character from Penny Dreadful, right? Because remember in the beginning when we first meet her, we don't even realize what she is. Mm -hmm. She's just this person, a socialite who seems to, everyone seems to love that the guy who worked in the museum really liked her and they were friends and... Yeah, fascinating. I wonder if she was partially based off of her. We can look that up. I want to tell you one more thing before we go. Okay, so I was waiting until I got my new home entertainment system to watch a couple of things. And one of the things that I was waiting to watch was The Conjuring 3, okay. the latest yep. installment. Um, the Devil Made Me Do It, I think they called it. And I heard bad things. I thought it was great. Okay. I didn't dislike it anyway, but one of my most favorite books and i know you've read it and i know you love it too of all time is the stand love it so i watched the abc new version of it and i fucking hated it i have not watched it and i i fear that i won't like it because i've not heard from one single person that read the book that has enjoyed it you know what they did dan and they everything else was fine the setting was fine the casting for the most part was fine i don't think Whoopi goldberg was old enough to play mother abigail but that's just me everything was fine but they jump around in time so you start out in boulder and then you go back well. and then you go forward and then you go back and then you go forward and you can't do that because you end up there's so many characters in the show that you end up not caring about them because you never have enough time with them oh interesting so you're never on the road with Larry or Underwood or any of those people you're never on the on the journey long enough to give a shit and so I feel complete and honestly like I'm, I'm sure the listeners are tuning out by now they don't care about that but I did because it's one of my favorite books of all time why <sighs> can't they freaking get it right just do the book. They, they fumbled the dark, the gunslinger, like the dark tower. Oh, did they ever? I mean, the stand, the fir- that TV miniseries. I remember thinking even back then it was okay. It's better than this version, but it, it had massive problems. But it's better than this version. It. I don't. I don't. I'm not a fan of either the TV miniseries. Although I liked Pennywise, played by uh, Curry. Yeah, we disagree. Yeah, we disagree. Yeah, on we that. do. I know we do. But I didn't enjoy this. I didn't find it scary. I found it over the top. I just find generally they don't do Stephen King. Maybe it's because his writing is so prolific in a way. It's impossible to put it on screen. Our minds. But they've done it well sometimes. I mean, God, Misery it was beautiful. Yes, okay, but Misery requires less of the suit. It's less the supernatural, right? Shawshank. Dolores Claiborne is, is good. I mean, the the ones that are more human are good. I, yes, and we disagree because right. I think the two movies of The Stand were really good. I also think uh, of it. Sorry, okay. I think the the movie of it was very very good. I also think that the the recent adaptation of Doctor Sleep was phenomenal. I like Doctor Sleep. I really. But did you like have Dr. to Sleep. see the director's cut because it sucks otherwise. 
Yeah, I, I agree. But anyway, I just wanted to say that you have no idea how upset I was because I was so looking forward to it, Dan. It is, it's, you know, you know, like everybody has their book. Well, The Stand and Lord of the Rings are the books of my youth. I read The Lord of the Rings and the car ride to... I'm with you. ...to Florida. I read The Stand on the car ride to Florida. And it was the book I carried around with me all summer. And it was so important to me. I would say the same thing. I, I would put... The Stand, Lord of the Rings, and It. Those are the three books. Those are my cornerstone books as a kid. I can I remember them so vividly. I know. I've read The Stand probably 10 times. And oh, by the way, I saw Dune. Oh, and? It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Well, here, I have a question for you. Yeah. I have Dune on my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. I've never read it. Should I read it first and then watch the new film? Sure, it doesn't ruin it at all. Or should I see the film and then and then read it? Either the way, either way. The film is not inscrutable. Like, you don't have to have read the book to see the film. Um, one thing I will say, and we'll, I, I, I'd like you to read the book because then we can talk about it, is I have an unpopular opinion where I think I don't like the first book as much as I like the sequels. I've heard this. Dune Messiah people say this. and Children of Dune are the books that I enjoyed more because okay. Dune is very heavy and very political. So if you like political science fiction and that kind of thing, like, you know, um, diplomacy, you'll mm-hmm. like Dune. That's not me. I like a little bit of action more than that. So it's more of um, it's very much the setup game for the of rest chess. Of the story, isn't it? Dune yeah, the, for yeah. the first one. Anyway, um, I don't want to keep these people captive any longer while we babble on about our lives, our fascinating lives. Yeah. So that is my story. Um, I was fascinated to find it, and I like I like the fact that she wasn't a witch living in a cabin in the woods or on the outskirts of some community. She was right in the city in a beautiful apartment, just doing her doing her work. Creepier, yeah. So that's it. I want to thank everyone who tuned in for continuing to be our companions on this journey that we call the weird. I want to uh, also ask, how the hang did you tune in? How did you find this on the radio? This is an internet-based thing. What frequency are we on? Did I say the radio? You said, thanks for tuning in. Oh, I'm so dating myself. Yeah, Luddite. Give me a call on the telephone and we'll talk about it. Uh, <laughs> oh. uh, folks, thank you very much for listening. As Riley just said to uh, The Weird, this is a labor of love uh, that we do. And uh, if you enjoyed what you've been listening to, please share the word of The Weird with the world. Uh, and uh, help us spread our fun stories uh, to as many people as you can. Uh, That's the number one way that we can grow this show. We enjoy our worldwide audience, so thank you very much. You can follow us on Facebook Facebook. and Instagram. Instagram. And uh, there, they, we share pictures uh, and and different images and stuff like that uh, from each episode. Get uh, uploaded to those sites. So if you're looking for an easy and quick way to sort of see some of the things that we're talking about, that's where you can go to find them. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, we appreciate again your listenership. Good night. Bye, y'all. I missed the bus. I missed the bus. And I'm never, never gonna do it again.